Hi, friend. Welcome to North City Church's podcast. We're a community that loves our neighbors in the way of Jesus. And we hope that this message or teaching empowers you to do just that in your everyday life. If you want to learn more about the ways our community is trying to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. I was reminded why 5 p.m. feels a little easier on the get-up than early morning Sunday. I was up at 5.30 today. Had to shower before the kids got up, you know? Well, welcome. I'm Christian Ann. I'm one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you yet. And happy Easter. Easter is one of those days you can buy your family matching outfits, and it's appropriate, right? That's, that's what I did. That's what I did. Well, I'm going to start us off by sharing a little story. And um, when J.D. and I moved into our home that we're in now, we live off of Penn and Victor Memorial Drive, um, it was February. And I was, uh, I was very excited. We have a dog. And um, what I was most excited for, yes, the house was a big deal, but it was, for me, the yard. We actually have a very big yard for just a city lot. And I had this, I had this image because I was pregnant at the time. We had Rosie already, our now six-year-old. And um, I just had this image of our kids running around barefoot in this beautiful yard because we didn't really have much before that where we lived before. And um, the snow started to melt which I think it, it did melt. Okay, it did melt this year. Okay, doesn't feel like it out there, personally. Um, the snow started to melt, and I was looking to see, you know, where am I going to put my, my vegetable garden, my flower garden? And it revealed no grass. No grass. Mud. Just trash embedded in, in, the, in the yard itself. Um, I mean, I was really hoping for just some sort of grass, but there really was just mi- at minimum dirt, you know. And then we have a, if you have a dog in the spring, springtime is just the worst time for dogs because um, they bring all that inside. And I noticed shards of glass. I noticed broken toys in, literally like stuck in the ground that we had to pick up. And, and occasionally we still find remnants of that in our yard. And what I realized is that our yard really held this story of the previous family and group of people that lived there. And like I said, we're still picking up the pieces of some of that broken story. We learned that there was tons of heartbreak and pain, and there was violence in that home and outside of that home. And so what I noticed was this, like, I was, I was looking forward to to this spring, and I realized we, the story's still here. And so slowly each year, we've been tending to this yard and, and trying to, you know, make it something different, make it something new. Now there's a prairie garden thing with supposed to bring bees in. I don't know. I'm still learning about it. That's why I call myself a aspiring gardener. Um, I've had to move my vegetable garden multiple times because, like, you need sun to grow vegetables. I didn't realize where that needed to be. Um, and so coming to this gardening season, which hopefully it will eventually um, come, is 
I just come with such anticipation. Like, what could I bring? What could I grow this year? What, what could I plant? How many of you have seedlings or, like, are aspiring gardeners like me? Like, in my house, I'm just like, they pr- some of them will get destroyed because I have three children, six and under. So I'm just a little nervous each year, too. Um, but I come with this anticipation, and I come with a little bit of fear, to be honest. Because I'm someone who likes to try to follow all the steps and to do it right. Like, I read those seed packets, and they say, like, this is how you do it. This is how many days of sun they need, and this is the steps you take. And it always goes differently than what I thought. Like, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And last year, I was able to grow, I didn't think this was possible, three cantaloupe. You can grow cantaloupe in Minnesota. But then my dog ate my broccoli. (laughs) And so I just know that that with each gardening season, like things are just not going to go the way that I thought. And the outcomes that I anticipate don't often happen. And I don't know if you ever feel like this, but when you try really hard and things just don't go the way that you expect. And I think there's an analogy here to our faith and how we come to a relationship with Jesus and how we approach maybe church, maybe how we approach God, that if you follow these rules, if you do these things, then you'll get these sort of outcomes. That our Western culture really lends itself to this too, where you know if you do these things, your life will continually get more successful along the way. But how many of us know that that doesn't work like that? That's right. You can talk in church. That's totally fine. <clears throat> and so we often treat our faith and our relationship with God like reading the seed packet. If you just follow these steps, if you do this, then you'll get these certain results. And so I want you to hold this question. What if it doesn't happen that way? Or when it doesn't happen that way? What happens next? What then? And so I hope that this year we can shift our focus. And when we come to Easter, we're not coming towards Easter in this story that we're going to read about in such a transactional way. Maybe when you were, were younger, maybe if you grew up in, in an evangelical setting, or maybe you heard the gospel presented to you this way. There was often these, these two cliffs. Someone could draw you these two cliffs right next to each other. And then you draw the cross right in the middle of them. It's an analogy of saying, like, Jesus is that bridge. He's the one that's going to get you from earth to heaven. He's the ticket, you could say. But when I think about that, and while that can be a helpful image, it sort of just puts the cross and this story as a transaction in time, as an event that happened. And yes, Jesus paid the debt for our sins, but if salvation is not just a transaction, then what's the alternative? So I want you to hold those questions as we read this story. And yes, we are going to be reading out of a children's Bible today. Oh, yeah. This this version, I I just want to implore you that this version has changed my perspective on Jesus and has helped me understand God in a whole new way these last few years. And um, I invite that this is not just for kids. And now you're all going to be subjected to it today, too. So we're going to be reading God's wonderful surprise. And this is from the resurrection account in Matthew, um, and mostly Matthew and John. 
So I hope that you can get some new imagery today. We're going to have the, the visual on the screen as well. Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer? The king, God that pro- the king that God had promised? It wasn't supposed to end like this. Yes, but whoever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise on the third day, God sent an earthquake and an angel from heaven. When the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away and sat on top of it and waited. And at the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and other women headed to the tomb to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the olive, ancient olive trees, drops of dew glittering on leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked quietly along the hilly path through the olive groves until they reached the tomb, and immediately they noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening into the dark tomb. But wait, Jesus' body was gone. Now, before we go any further, I just want us to pause here. I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of Mary and those coming to the tomb. And it says, these were Jesus' friends. These are people who had walked with Jesus for some just for three years, some like his brothers, his whole life. And they came to this tomb to grieve. They came to this place to feel all the things and to experience the loss uh, and confusion. And I think what I hear in this, it wasn't supposed to end like this, right? And so they're bringing all of those expectations and they come to the tomb and his body is gone. To me, that sounds like a twist of the knife moment. Because not only are they so sad that their best friend, their leader, their savior, who they had put their hope in was gone, but now someone maybe had stolen his body. Have you ever experienced that where you are in pain and then it almost is like it gets that much worse, right? Or it, like chaos comes on top of the pain. Maybe you can think of a moment in your life. Maybe you're in that moment right now in your life. You're experiencing that type of grief. My hope is that you know, as this visual shows, we can bring those griefs to this tomb. We can bring that sadness or that confusion and that chaos to the story. So let's keep reading. And something else, a shining man was there with clothes made from lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said, but they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked them, what are you doing here? This is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. The women couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore, he said. He's alive again. And their hearts leapt. And then the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt for a moment as if they'd woken from a nightmare. The other women rushed home, but Mary stayed behind. How could it be true? Have you ever wondered, like, really? This is too good to be true. Jesus was definitely dead. How could he be alive? But just then, Mary heard someone else in the garden. Perhaps it's the gardener, she thought. He'll know where Jesus' body is. I don't know where Jesus is, Mary said urgently. I can't find him. 
But it was all right. Jesus knew where she was, and he had found her. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. She could hear her heart thumping, and she turned around, and she could just make out a figure, and she shaded her eyes to see and thought she was dreaming. But she wasn't dreaming. She was seeing. Jesus! Mary fell to the ground. Sudden tears filled her eyes, and great sobs shook her whole body, and all she wanted to do in that moment was to cling to Jesus and never let him go. You'll be able to hold on to me later, Mary, Jesus said gently, and always be close to me. But now, go and tell the others that I'm alive. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She'd never run so fast or so far in all of her life. She felt as if she could run forever, and she didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. The sun seemed to be dancing and gleaming and bounding across the sky, racing with her and shining brighter than she could ever remember in the fresh, clear air. And it seemed to her that morning that as she ran, almost as if the whole world had been made anew. Almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he making even death come untrue? She couldn't wait to tell Jesus' friends. They won't believe it, she she laughed. And she was right, of course. I love that story. I love the way that I get to see a different side of that story through a children's eyes, a child's eyes. This year, as I was reading um, these stories over Holy Week with um, when Jesus had a Passover meal, dinner with his friends and disciples, and when he goes to the garden to pray and talk to the Father, and the cross, a, a different theme stood out to me. The garden. The garden. And what I realized is that God has been doing things in gardens for a long time. Since the beginning, right? He, he started with the garden, making something out of nothing, and then turning what was chaos into beauty and order when he created the world. And then he put people in there in the garden to tend to the garden, to cultivate the garden with him, to be with him and, and make this garden this beautiful place to cultivate it together. And then deception and pain come when they're deceived by the enemy. And brokenness and separateness come in relationship between God and people. There was togetherness in the garden, and then there was separateness. Then fast forward as you come to the Garden of Gethsemane during this Holy Week, and as we read that before the cross, and we think about Jesus coming to pray to the Father, bringing just tons of questions, tons of sadness, because he knew what was coming. This unity that Jesus had experienced with his Father, with, with God, he knew that separateness was coming. He knew for the first time he couldn't be accessible to God and God to him. This intimate moment, there's fear, yet Jesus chooses us, and he chooses that separateness for us. He chooses to take that pain on himself for us. And so in this story, 
we see a cemetery, a cemetery, a tomb, turn into a garden. And only one person could change that tomb, that grave into a garden. Only one person could turn Mary's grief. Not anyone could do this. Could you imagine grieving like she was? Turning her grief into joy. Only one person could make resurrection a reality. Jesus. And so I think that this moment, this resurrection moment with Mary, and then from that point on, happens in a garden for a reason. Because it's not meant to be this one-time transaction in time. A garden is a place where things grow and can grow year after year. And there's different seasons. And there's always life that's just around the corner. Gardens are not transactional, I've learned. You can't just do all the right things and hope that the same results come out. Gardens are relational. You have to tend to things. They're organic. They're creative. And for any growth to happen, you have to literally place seeds into the ground and bury them for new life to grow. And so that's why at the end of the story in Revelation 21, when Jesus comes back to earth, he says, I am making all things new. And I love how this story shows that it's like the earth gets woken up and she gets woken up again. And so Mary gets to be a part of that new life. She gets to go spread the word, like planting seeds of hope that Jesus is alive. And Mary, who brought all of her expectations to that garden place and all of her grief, her, that just gets completely changed, right? And now she gets this opportunity to cultivate hope and to spread this good news with Jesus, and that same invitation is extended to us. So if our lives are the garden, that's the, I'm not, I'll, I won't be discreet here. Like, that's the analogy I'm, I'm using, that if our lives are the garden, we all have expectations of how certain things are going to go. And how might Jesus be trying to change and create something new out of those expectations? It's not by chance in the last couple months I, as a pastor, I get to meet with lots of different people, and it's just a joy. I love hearing people's stories, even the really broken parts of people's stories. And I heard something, um, almost two identical stories. And of course, there's nuance, there's differences that these people experience their, their lives. But someone said, I did all the right things. I did all the right things. I grew up in church. I didn't make any mistakes. And I, I got married. We were, we were living our lives, doing what we thought was best. And then out of the blue, my husband left me. Two months later, I heard the same like structure of the story. And I thought, God, why are you showing me? Like, that's so interesting and, and strange. Like, and, and the question that I heard these, these women asking was what now? Like, I did all the right things. I just wanted blessing. I just wanted to see what, I did all the right things. And there was grief, and there was pain, and there was expectation that they held. And I just wanted to say, not in a cheesy way, but like, what, what hope could be around the corner for you? 
Because that's what I think Jesus does. He's the only one that can turn our grief into new life. And it might look totally different. Might look totally different than what we ever imagined. Because I think what Jesus doesn't want for us is for us to get caught in religious scripts that say, if I do all the right things, I'm going to experience these blessings or these outcomes. Because gardens, as it says, as it's displayed here, they don't follow our expectations. Things do go wrong. We're still finding trash in the yard. And so I think that we need a gardener to show us we need someone to lead us, to show us that new life is possible. As I close, and we're going to listen to a song, kind of, and then we're going to move into discussion after that. So kind of just to invite some reflection from this story um, personally, and then we'll be able to share across the table. But as, as I close, I was praying over this story and over our church and over the people that might be here this morning. And I just asked this question, God, what does resurrection life look like when we, it's embedded in us, that gets planted in us? How can the resurrection story not just be a story, a transaction in time, but something that grows in us? And I grew up around a lot of vines. I grew up in Napa, and um, my favorite wine to drink and my favorite vines that I got to watch grow and produce grapes each year were Zinfandel vines. And some of them would be to 100 years old. And I felt like I saw, like, I just remember, like, they would see some things, right? These vines had seen some things. And the words that came to mind were tenacious hope. And I was like, huh, I, I've heard that word before. I don't actually know what that means. So I looked it up, and sort of a common translation is just a stick to Tenacious means something that, that we hold on to or that holds fast, a stick to And I thought, yeah, we're going to be people who hold on to hope. North City Church, we're going to be people who hold on to hope. And I thought, well, I, didn't think, I, I just had this gentle nudge from Jesus because he said, well, what about a hope that holds on to you? What about a hope that when you're done hoping, when you're done picking up trash in your yard, when it feels like you really can't see any new life that can be planted in your life, in our world, in our neighborhood, that there's a, a rootedness to God's hope in your life that can take place that will hold on to you, even in the pain and the suffering. And so that is my prayer, that not only would we be people who are tenaciously hoping with and for others and hoping for something new and new life to come in us, that we can pause and even in the midst of someone just getting a cancer diagnosis, say, God, would we pray for healing? When someone's bank account runs out, that we can still hold on to another option, a third way. When you experience love, when you've been when you've experienced mistrust in the past, that there's still hope possible. And when we don't have that hope, that there's a hope that can hold on to us because that's a resurrection story that can continue in our lives that changes us year after year. Because as Jesus invites Mary into, let us be people who know deep within us that death is not the end of our story.